Hello and welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Kosofsky, here as usual with my favorite critic, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you doing today? Great, how are you? I am doing well. We, we, we made it. We survived the festival. We did indeed. Another tiff in the books, uh, but not completely in the books because we are just doing a wrap up today of things that we saw that Maybe you saw and you'd like to listen along and hear about our impressions or, you know, you want to listen because these are things you're going to look out for because things are going to start getting released uh, in various ways and various forms, theatrical, home, you know, all that stuff, all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. So, Courtney, you're going to start us off, right? Uh, yes, I'm going to talk about a film that I saw towards the end of the the festival and it actually turned ended up being my favorite um, film that I saw this year and there was a lot of great films but this one was called How to Blow Up a Pipeline and it's by Daniel Goharber and it's a film that is essentially an environmental activist type of film. You're, you're following these group of environmental activists from different parts of America as they converge on Texas with this plan to blow up a particular pipeline. And it essentially plays out almost like a heist film, you know, so they're kind of a, assembling the plan you're seeing as they're going to, you know, attempt to try and execute it and you don't know, will they be able to pull it off? And there's certain factors that come into play. Uh, it is a thrilling film it is the script is so tightly constructed that it had my heart kind of palpitating the entire um, time I was watching it. And even the next day when I was thinking about it, I was getting anxious all over again because I was immediately put back into that kind of tense feeling of, are they going to pull it off? Why are they doing this? Should they be doing this? I kind of want to see them do this. It, it just it takes you on this wild <laughs> wow. ride. Yeah. And it's so well done. And there's some aspects of it, too, where they start to, you know, contemplate and question the nature of activism and who actually are the real people that gets hurt when it comes to environmental activism. Um, and that's all I will say about it. I highly recommend this film. Uh, I believe it was based off of a novel. So I have a feeling that this one will get a, a decent release um, based on the buzz that I'm hearing. A lot of people who saw it really loved it. So how to blow up a pipeline. Be sure to, to keep that on your radar. And Fantastic. I know you saw one that I didn't get a chance to see, but I really wanted to. And it was a return to soul. Do you want to talk about that? Yes. Return to soul. This is Davy Chu's second feature. And this one uh, got a lot of positive feedback as well. And I didn't know that much about Davy Chu. I just walked into this blind. It's, it's quite remarkable. I, I was, I was absolutely riveted by the story, but also by the performance of someone. It's it's her first film. I can't, you know, it's it's stunning when someone can walk in and just have that kind of screen presence and pull off this role. Uh, her name is Jimin Park. So watch out for Jimin Park. She, her character, her character is, well, her, her full name is Frederic, but they call her Freddie. So Freddie is this, mercurial 25 year old who just on a whim decides to go to Korea. She's from France. She was raised in France, but she was originally, she was born in Korea and her parents for various reasons, including uh, 
wanting a better life for her because they didn't have enough money, they uh, allowed her to get adopted or they arranged uh, and agreed that she should get adopted. And so she wants to go back and, and figure out what happened and find some answers. And the film is basically more, it's a partial character study, but it's also following this character that we can't just, we can't quite figure out her motivations. Um, and there are some really hysterical, hysterically funny moments because she doesn't know the culture, but she's so headstrong. She doesn't seem to care sometimes and actually does these like faux pas that you just like, you know, anybody would sit there and you're going like, no, you're not supposed to do that. And she's being told, no, 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 you're not supposed to like do that. Or people think you're being rude or you're insulting people. And she does it anyway. And so it's, uh, he's got a really, really uh, dazzling kind of style here because it says the, the film is as restless as she is. And over the course of, it's sort of done in eight segments, uh, taking her, you know, onward in time and the different things that, that happen as she gets more and more answers and she gets deeper and deeper into her own history um, and the the final result is is i keep using the word stunning but it is it's just just shakes you up mm-hmm. and here i'm getting all badly just talking about it <laughs> oh that sounds that sounds Untied. good uh, Untied. It, it, it reminded me hearing you talk about that film of a, a film that i saw a, a french film called hawa and it was directed by maimona Ducour or Ducouré, my apologies if I mispronounce that name, but it it's, t- tells a story of a 15-year-old girl who's um, albino and she's living with her grandmother and her grandmother's gravely ill. So she's going to have to face a life without her and possibly going into the foster care system. And she gets it in her head that she's going to find someone to adopt her and she wants Michelle Obama to adopt her because apparently Michelle Obama has come to Paris for a, a, a few days. So you are watching this really headstrong 15 year old girl who will not take no for an answer to everything she can to try and and get Michelle Obama to adopt her. Um, I will not go into any more details because I do not want to spoil it, but I want to say that this film was an absolute joy to watch. Um, it was filled with so much warmth and, and heart, but in a way that doesn't feel over sentimental but it really does kind of hit you in the feels by by a time you, you you get to the end and i was pleasantly surprised by this film so if you're if you're looking for a, a feel-good movie with a spunky young heroine then uh, hawa is the the one to to watch um you saw shimini do you want to talk about yes. that one yes i know this is also a character study you know how i said that uh, return to soul was like a character study well this is a character study but completely different in tone and style this is uh, about a character who just has this quiet intensity and again i'm going to credit the actor in this case um the actor's name is justin Mirichi, and uh, this is a kenyan film it's the feature debut of a woman who is an editor turned writer turned director now, Angela Wanjiku. This man's quiet intensity is what also what drives the film. 
in this case. And it's about a man who has just been let out of jail. He was a teacher and was once, you know, he had a certain um, prestigious place in the community. And he's put into the care of a village church, the local pastor there. And it's a different community from the one he's used to. And the conditions of, of his release is that he must go live in this, this village called Shimini. Shimini translates to the pit. And he must go there and he must do as the pastor tells him. The pastor has given him responsibilities in the, the farmyard, in the, the barnyard. So he must do physical work instead of intellectual work. He's not very good at it. He's, he doesn't know a lot about it. And so the woman who sort of like runs this, the farmyard area, the barn and everything, uh, and a, a different woman in the community, she she's kind of frustrated. So it's a bit, it has these funny moments as well, like quietly funny. The whole thing is very, very quiet, um, but very intense. But the thing is that he, our, our character, Jeffrey, he runs in. So he's running into these problems with with his new station in life. You know, he's frustrated, but he also runs into problems that trigger memories that are bad memories that we're not quite sure. And he's haunted by these these memories and something that happened in his past and is triggered by the presence of someone in the village. And so he's fighting, he's fighting all of these forces, you know, just the, the, the physical problems he's having and this, this thing that's going on in his head and things just build and build and build with this intensity that uh, it's just fascinating. It just draws you right in uh, and it will not let go. Uh, and you just follow this man's journey. It's very haunting, this film. Oh, that's, yeah, it sounds great. And one that I saw that's, I guess, similar in tone is St. Omer. And that is one by Alice, director Alice Diop, who I guess has done a lot of award-winning documentaries. And this is um, a narrative work. I believe it's her first narrative feature. And it is a, a quiet but really intense film uh, that follows this this writer uh, by the name of Rama as she's working on a novel and she's also kind of taking in this court case that has occurred. And the court case revolves around this accused woman by the name of Lawrence, who is on trial um, for possibly harming her child. Whether or not she did um, is up for debate. And as you're pretty much, we're all sitting in the courtroom watching this trial unfold, we are starting to hear about the events in question and Lawrence's actions and what may or may not have happened. And the film does a really interesting thing of it puts us in the essentially like the jury box as we're watching this, but it forces us to question our views and our and our own biases, our biases on our expectation of women our expectations of immigrants the way society tends to um, place people in certain positions and then tell them well 
you're responsible for carving your own way out while ensuring that we don't give them the proper ladders to help climb up. Um, I don't want to get into too much detail because I don't want to spoil it, but it is a riveting film. There is a moment where there's a reaction that impacts all the women in this or and as a viewer, you feel that same kind of reaction as well. It is a masterful film because it is so subtle. Yeah, at first you're like, oh, I'm just watching these this court procedural that I don't have any attachment to. And by the end, you are super attached to it. And it it is just a riveting film. So that's Saint Omer. Um, I highly recommend it. Yeah, you saw Walk Up. Do you want to talk about that? Because that's a a legendary director at this point, right? Yes, uh, Korean auteur Hong Sang-soo. He's back and he's back with uh, another poetic cinematic piece um, that just gently and melancholically sort of looks at people. Again, I, it, I keep saying character study and I didn't plan to watch all these character studies, but uh, I fell into them and I'm happy, happy I did. I thought this was, uh, you know, you use the word riveting. I thought this was a riveting experience because it starts off. So walk up is a, is a four story building basically. And it starts off where Byung Su and his daughter go to visit an old friend of his, Ms. Kim. And it's her building, Ms. Kim's building. And she just sort of like takes them through the building. And in, on one level of the building is a restaurant and they sit there and they just have far too much wine and do a lot of like reminiscing and philosophizing and think, okay, but it's, it's all in a single take in a single shot in a single take. And you, on, on the surface, you think, well, there's not really a lot going on, but there's a lot going on. And every time the camera, every time there's an edit, every time there's any movement, it's, highly highly significant and it's like if this sounds like too intellectual it's not it's not it's not it's very easy easy to watch because it just it draws you in so easily and um lulls you in and then you start getting into the rhythm of the film as the film takes you you stay in the building i'm gonna i'm gonna give you that much information you stay in the building but as the film sort of moves through time and space, some really, really interesting things happen. And it's not a simple journey up and down the stairs. There's all sorts of journeys going on in this film. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty brilliant. I, I was really, really blown away. Oh, that sounds great. Um, I know we both saw a bunch of docs, but before we jump to the docs, I'm going to squeeze in two films quickly. Um, one is The Gravity, and it, because you were talking about kind of space and time, this film, The Gravity by Cedric Edu, is a, um, or sorry, Edo, is a French film that's almost like a, a kind of genre mashup. Essentially, it's set in a, um, French uh, Paris kind of I don't want to say projects but apartment complex where there's been a lot of kind of crime and gangs what have you and through a series of events we're following these main characters where our grown men had an incident as children 
And they are now interacting with this young gang, which is pretty much run by like a bunch of teenagers, but they are far more organized than when these old men were young whippersnappers and gangs themselves. On top of all of this, as these tensions are rising between the two gangs, there is this kind of planetary realignment that's occurring. So the sky, even during the daytime, you're seeing the stars out, you're starting to see the moon, and people are trying to wonder what effect this alignment's going to have. So as the alignment's getting closer, tensions start to rack up, and the film kind of moves from one type of film to another, but it all works, and it's really fascinating. So those who are looking for a kind of fun genre film that really plays with science fiction, it plays with a lot of tropes that you would normally expect from you know, film set in like housing projects, what have you, it kind of flips it on its head and it's a really entertaining um, film to watch. And that's called The Gravity. And for something a little more serious, one film that I think I was really taken by because of its nature and its pacing, I wonder if some people might be turned off by it, but I quite enjoyed it. It's called Bruiser by Miles Warren. Uh, And this is uh, Warren's feature debut and it's essentially about this boy who was living with his mother and his stepfather and the stepfather is played by Canadian actor Shamir Anderson um the boy doesn't boy Darius doesn't quite get along with his stepfather Malcolm the kind of butt heads but Malcolm's kind of like the buttoned up car salesman you work hard you'll achieve and through a series of events Darius meets this man in the woods whose name is Porter, and he's played by Travante Rhodes, who you might remember from Moonlight. He plays the older version of the central character in in Moonlight. And Travante Rhodes is more of a, or sorry, Porter is more of a kind of free-flowing spirit, but he's seems, he's obviously physically more brooding than Darius's stepfather. And he kind of teaches him how to stick up for himself um, and how to fight. But but, you know, in a only as a defensive mechanism, as the film unfolds, you realize there is a connection between Porter, Darius and his stepfather that Darius doesn't even quite realize. And the film really slowly evolves into a tale about masculinity, aggression, you know, our perceptions of aggression. So certain individuals who might be. So we, we think of certain individuals because of how they're looked, that they might be more aggressive. You know, if they're the type of clothes they're wearing, if they've got dreadlocks in their head, what have you, compared to the people who are wearing this, the shirt and ties, going to work with the briefcases. But what this film really does is it kind of flips it on its head and starts to say, well, what do we define as masculinity? What do we define as aggression? And also, what does our past say about us and especially the types of anger and hostility that some of us bury to be perceived a certain way where others kind of express at a young age but then evolve from it um and that's all i can say but this film is i i was quite taken by it for for a first feature i thought it was really well done and it does some wonderful things with lighting especially towards the end of the film when things start to ramp up and characters kind of you know, are physically being pulled into darkness and and whatnot. It was it was a fascinating film that I thought was a, a pleasant surprise at, at the festival. 
let's move before we wrap up to the documentaries because both you and I saw some wonderful docs. Um, do you want to kick us off by talking about all the beauty and the bloodshed? Okay, we're starting off the documentaries with a bang. All the beauty and the bloodshed is uh, one of the best films that was at TIFF. It won in August the uh, the Venice Film Festival. It won the top prize there, the top prize, which means like documentary drama. It beat everything to win the Golden Lion, um, and it's I think it's only the second time a documentary has done that. The director, Laura Poitras, is only something like the seventh woman to to win the coveted Golden Lion. She is an Academy Award winning documentarian. She made Citizen Four. So we know her from that. And what she's done is she has made this documentary about a photographer that some of us know. Her name is Nan Golden. And in the 80s, she made these um, absolutely brilliant sort of color image slideshow photographs, like photographs that she, she turned into slideshows that were exhibited in galleries that just completely transformed uh, art and the world of art photography. Um, So her most famous series is probably the Ballad of Sexual Dependency. She she focused on friends and she focused on uh, colleagues. But as she said, she always focused on people and only included people that were comfortable being included because her focus was always on people on the margins. And that's, that was always her subject matter. And so it's interesting that this documentary sort of looks into that and layers that, that in with uh, Nan Golden's personal history and with her more public struggles against uh, the Sackler family in the United States. The Sackler family had a company called Purdue Pharma, which made OxyContin. And so there was this public... Uh, a series of protests that Nan Golden led and in, in led uh, a bunch of protesters uh, because the Sackler family also, besides making OxyContin, they also were a name that has, has appeared and probably still does somewhere, um, appeared in art galleries. They, ge- they gave so much money to institutions all over the world. And like the big ones, the Met in New York City and Tate in London, that there were wings, whole wings named after just individual members of the family. And so Nan Golden, who had her own struggles with OxyContin, she decided to take them on. And she decided that that was the only way that she could fight them was in the the world of the art gallery. That's where she has the voice. And so when you put all of that together, and she's also very candid about her own personal history. So for all the candor you see in her photographs and that her subjects have given to her, Nan Golden gives to this. And this is an extraordinary experience. I just, I can't say enough about it, but of course, don't want to ruin it for anybody because um, we know this one is going to be released in a theater and that is exactly where it should be watched. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. All the beauty and the bloodshed. 
Okay, that sounds great. Um, one that I saw in the theater that I think will also get released in theater, especially because when I saw it on IMAX and it was glorious, and I know that they played it at the Cinesphere, which I can only imagine how great that would have been, is Goodnight Oppie. Um, this one is a documentary by Ryan White, and it looks at the Mars rovers. Um, and I guess it was the early 2000s, Mars came up with two rovers, which they called Opportunity, and the other one was, I believe, Spirit. And they sent it to Mars, and they were supposed to kind of, for 90 days, bring back footage of Mars and bring NASA kind of as close to Mars as they've ever been. And it turned out that these little machines went on for longer than 90 days. And over the course of 15 years, you're, this film tracks uh, not only the rover's journey, but also the work that went into building them, how they approached it. And you also have um, industrial light and magic doing a lot of the visual effects for for this documentary so it just looks fantastic and you know see it on the biggest screen as possible and it's done in such a way that you can bring entire families kids of all ages will will get something out of it um there's a lot of great science stuff for for people to learn and i think what really sells the film is even though it's about two machines roving mars the people talk about these machines as if they're their own children as if they're like they almost give them a human-like personality and you as a viewer starts to look at these machines as as sentient human beings and it's it's uh quite fascinating it's just a a great feel-good doc that i highly recommend and that's good night oppie um, sounds great do you want to talk about one that has a very unique title was it self-portrait of a coffee <laughs> of a coffee pot <laughs> I'm sorry, I ruined, I ruined your no, intro. No, 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 that's the, you. You have to laugh because when you because when you said that you saw that film, I went what? So, I'm, <laughs> please, please let us know what what this film is about. Uh, I just started laughing when you said it because yeah, when you say it out loud, it's yeah, it's it's funny. Self portrait as a coffee pot, and this is one of the the most fun times I've had at TIFF. It's an artist named uh, William Kentridge, and he was he was there. I happened to go to a public screening, and he was there. He's a South African, a white South African artist, uh, very prolific. He has made. Let me let me just you know, let me just get give you an idea of all the different things he's done. He his work spans drawings, animation, film, opera, sculpture. And there's and more like it just it goes on so he's sort of showing us his technique it like he does this like really great animation where he shows us uh, how certain of his most intricate wall-sized charcoal drawings come to life and how they develop over time and that that's like that's a wonderful, playful thing that happens. And then as the film progresses, he starts uh, philosophizing more and more. It's always fun. Isn't it's never like dead, like a dead, you know, um, it, it, the pace is always light and lively, uh, but there's a lot going on. So it really does give you a lot to think about as it's happening. And so 
it's kind of the, the sort of thing that you you want to like watch maybe more than once as it as it unfolds because uh, e the philosophizing eventually turns into and the playfulness of it turns into uh, a, a series of conversations with himself so he suddenly multiplies in the screen and there are two versions of him and he's having a conversation with himself or, or he's interviewing himself and just the nature of the debate the conversation the interviews the challenges he gives to himself it it's a really interesting look into the nature of the art making process into like questions around uh, you know artist practice artist motivation all that stuff that sounds boring when i list it off but it's so exciting and fun when you watch him bring it to life and uh and it's even got like he does these like camera tricks uh, they go all the way back to um the beginning of cinema with the the Melier brothers right mm -hmm. and uh he even has a bit of fun with mirrors like chico marx you know from the marx brothers so there are a lot of different things he references and i should say before before i we move on to the next film that this is what tiff did was they showed three parts from a nine-part series that uh i don't know if it's going to be on tv somewhere oh, but i'm anyway, sure it probably will be yeah it's it's made to be a nine-part series and these are the first three parts oh wow that sounds very fascinating uh the last talk i'm going to talk about and i know you have one more to get to this was a documentary short and uh, more of a, a somber tone in terms of the subject matter, but also um, I think a very important work and it kind of knocked my socks off. It was one that was playing as part of a shorts program and it was rattling in my brain for, for the rest of the day. And it's called Quiet Mind, Silent Streets and it's by um, Canadian filmmaker, Karen Chapman. And this film, is about a shooting that happened in a in Malton. Um, and how do I describe this? It's, I guess, one of the biggest mass shootings that that happened in Malton, which is in the north part of Mississauga. And the film talks about that event and the impact it had on the community. But what the film is really about is how the community was able to overcome and reshape itself and kind of cut down on the gun violence and just violence in general through meditation. So it's really a film about the power of meditation, how there's various people and organizations like Director X, who's done a, a lot of um, iconic music videos. And he also did the film, I think it was called Across the Line. Um, and he has this organization, he created this organization all about meditation and using meditation to curb gun violence. And when you watch this film and as you know, they're explaining the organization, they're explaining the impact of meditation, your mind has one of those aha moments where it's like, why have we not thought of this before? <laughs> when we keep talking about gun violence and reducing, it always goes to, well, we need to give more money to policing. Whereas this was like, no, if you change people, and you change communities from when they're young and teach them how to channel 
you know, reframe the way how they think and how they breathe and how they look at life, it changes so many different things. And this can even work for like police officers and, and whatnot. It's just a fascinating um, film that I hope gets uh, a decent release or at least gets shown in schools or before different festivals, different theaters, because it's such a eye-opening work. Um, and uh, the last thing I will, will say about it is the film also kind of touches on how a lot of our systems are not embracing this mindset, not in, in again, meditation is free and they're not even willing to do something that is free because they're just kind of sticking with the status quo, but clearly the status quo isn't working. Uh, so this film, Quiet Minds, Silent Streets offers a new alternative that i'm surprised no one thought of before and it's clearly working in certain communities so one would assume that everyone would be embracing it but again i don't think a lot of people um even thought of this as a as a potential option so highly recommend it it was a, a surprising documentary short um do you want to end off by talking about was it casa susanna i believe you saw that one that was a documentary Yes, Casa Susanna by Sebastian Lifshitz. And this documentary, talk about community. This documentary is about um, a community that existed in the 50s and 60s. It was um, a refuge out in the Catskills. It was a house where um, cross-dressing men and transgender women could go and be part of this community where you could just be yourself, you know, and you could get away. You didn't have to pretend, you know, where wherever you came from and you had to pretend to be so-and-so and so-and, you could just do your thing with a community of people who were like-minded, who understood you could talk things over um, that you couldn't talk about with anybody else. So the thing about the community was that you had um, a variety of, of sexual preferences. So a lot of these cross-dressing men had wives um, and happy family relationships. Uh, they, they were not inclined to be gay. Um, they, in fact, their wives were very supportive and even drove them there. And sometimes there were times where there were the, the residents of Casa Susana in, in one area, and then the wives were, you know, somewhere else waiting to drive them home. And they were having, you know, the wives were doing their own thing. So it wasn't always about sexual profits. Um, but what it was about was uh, this need to be a certain way this need to express your inner being in a certain way um, and to be accepted for that. And that's the, the, the really uh, amazing thing about the film is how much it gives us a sense of that. You know, it, it's very powerful in its intimacy, in recreate, because what it's doing is it's recreating all of this through a couple of people that are sharing their recollections. Um, the daughter of someone who used to go there, his wife used to drive him there. So this is all being recreated using these voices and, and these interviews, but also the photographs, some videos, and, and 
it's it's just there's a strong sense of community there and what's the most powerful thing about it is not this just the strong sense of community but the strength of the community the bonds that existed and just this sense of a safe space which all of us all of us can really identify with mm -hmm. and uh that i found that really really moving oh that sounds great and i, I think that's a perfect uh way to end the festival which is all about community and embracing differences and different stories absolutely which yes we have seen a whole variety of different stories and we've been part of our you know uh, of a larger community and smaller communities within it and boy we're getting poetic right now courtney aren't we <laughs> that's what tiff does <laughs> it brings it makes all you the different exhausted and, and poetic <laughs> <laughs> all right um shall i wrap up yes that's a good place to end i think okay so that's it for frame line for this week for courtney small i'm barbara gasowski this has been frame line thanks for listening mm -hmm.